Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Ujima Spirit Podcast. I am your host, Tika Taylor. This is part two of religious and spiritual abuse. Now, we're going to go ahead on and review some of the ways that individual religious members and believers may be exposed to religious or spiritual abuse. Now, in the first segment, we discuss religious institutions, how they promote and condone abusive behaviors. In this part, we're going to be focusing on individuals. We're not going to be talking about institutions. We're dealing with individuals who call themselves religious or who claim to be religious or who are practicing some type of religious ideology or doctrine. Now, these people claim to be religious. In actuality, there are bullies, there are abusers, there are deceivers, there are manipulators, all in the name of religion. A lot of people are being abused through religion because people are using religion against them. This is what we're going to talk about today because this is a serious topic. A lot of people don't know this because they are genuinely a religious person. They are sincere in their religious belief. They really want to follow the religious doctrines and the religious scripts and, you know, texts. They really want to sincerely live a righteous and godly life. Now, because of this, a lot of people can choose to use religion against them to manipulate them and to cause them harm. Now, they don't even understand what's happening. They don't know that they're being manipulated or used and that their religious belief that can definitely be used as as an asset to help them, those things are being used as a weapon against them. They really don't understand that. So this is what part two is going to be about. Let's discover how people use religion against other individuals. We're not dealing with institutions now. We're dealing with individuals. Now, let's talk about the leaders. Now, we have a lot of religious leaders, not the institution, okay, We're talking about the leaders. We're not talking about what the doctrine is saying, what the scripture is saying, not the ideology. We're not talking about that. We're dealing with leaders, people who are in the hierarchy in the religious institutions, whether they're a pastor, whether they're a preacher. These are individuals. They are human beings. They're not God. They're not divine. They're not spiritual. They're human beings with their flaws and their imperfection and their weakness and their insecurities, their fears. And they're trying to present themselves to be the ambassador of God. They're trying to act as if they represent God on earth. In reality, they're just a human being like everybody else. Now, these leaders often misuse and abuse their power and authority due to their egotistical and narcissistic, selfish, greedy, and corrupted ways. Now, these leaders demand respect instead of earning it with their character and their actions. They blatantly lie, teach false doctrine, misinterpret religious ideology, take scripture out of context, and create confusion. They act like they are the authority on religion and They act like they know it all. They're very arrogant, snobbish, and they like to boast. Now, these are the religious leaders who are being abusive to individuals. These people are not approachable. They're very cocky and arrogant. Now, in reality or in actuality, a religious person is supposed to be very humble because they are a servant They are a messenger. They are a teacher. They're not supposed to think that they are above everyone else. That everyone is a peasant and everyone is beneath them. They're not supposed to act that way. And if they act that way, then obviously there's a problem. But because religious people give religious leaders so much power over them, they give them so much power 
credit that they don't even deserve. They treat them like they're not a human being, that they have no flaws and no weakness and no vulnerabilities, which is not true. And this power sometimes corrupt these people. They let the, the power get to their head. All right? So that's just one way that these religious leaders abuse people by misusing and abusing their power. They're using their authority not to help people, but to hurt them, to look down on them, to mistreat them, to abuse them, to use them. That is a form of religious abuse. Now, these leaders want to be treated like God. They want to be idolized and worship. They want to be served instead of being of service. They want to be seen as superior and perfect. They're expecting blind allegiance and total obedience. No one is allowed to question or challenge their leadership. Or else they will punish or accuse this believer of being the enemy. They'll target them and treat them like a troublemaker or rebel. They'll exclude them from religious activities and events, silencing their voice or excommunicating them. Now, this is the abuse of power. Right? Continuing, leaders turning religion into a personal business. This is so common today. People are selling religion. Religion is not supposed to be sold. It's not a business. It's supposed to be a way of life. It's supposed to be something that helps foster a better relationship between God and humans. But instead, leaders are abusing their power and position and they're using religion as a personal business. They're selling religious products, selling religious service, religious information through books and seminars and videos and documentaries. They're selling spiritual revelation to the highest bidder. They're forcing payment in the form of tithes, donations, and contribution. They're committing financial fraud, requesting percentage of property inheritance, settlements, retirement checks, and disability payment. This is a form of abuse. And a lot of people don't see it as a form of abuse. They think that the leaders have the right, whether they feel like, you know, this person was ordained by God and whatever they say, you know, they, they have to just abide by it. They can't question it. Some people really do believe that these religious leaders are men of God or women of God, and they cannot be challenged. And because of that, you know, they give them blind obedience, whatever they say goes. And that is an abuse of power. Okay. Now leaders use believers, personal information against them. They blackmail them, violate their privacies and confidentiality. They don't allow them to socialize with non-believers or engage in non-religious activities, such as going to the movies, having a party, you know, attending a social event or cultural affair. Right? So, unfortunately, we do have this happening right now as we speak. A lot of people, when they're going through a lot of crisis, they don't have anyone to confide in. They go to the pastor, the priest, the nun, the rabbi, the preacher. This is who they go to. And they talk to them about their personal problems. And unfortunately, they do use those things against them. That is a serious problem. They put out their personal business, share with other members in the congregation, disclose, you know, personal information. Maybe they have a medical problem or they have a mental emotional problem maybe they have a relationship problem maybe they have an addiction and they're putting their business out there that is a form of abuse that's violation of confidentiality and privacy this is something that happens way too often and a lot of believers feel powerless they feel like they have no say so because once they disclose information to this religious leader they can pretty much do whatever they want with it and that's not right 
They cannot use that information against you or use that information without your consent. Share that information without your permission. They can't do that, right? Now, leaders use believers' vulnerability. They know your vulnerability because you talk to them about your insecurities. You talk to them about your fears, your worries, your personal challenges, your irrational fears, your intrusive thoughts, your limiting beliefs. You told them how, you know, you were desperate at one time, how you had certain weakness, how you suffer emotional pain. You know, maybe you told them about your loneliness, your grief, your sorrow. All the negative things that you probably went through during a time of crisis. Maybe you experienced trauma, disaster, difficulty. They use this moment as the opportunity to take advantage or exploit believers. This is really, really sad, but this is what's happening today. A lot of religious believers are being taken advantage of during the time which they are the most vulnerable. A time of crisis, disaster, trauma, pain, suffering, difficulty. They are used and abused. There are acts for things whether it's financial things, they're asked for favors when they're not in a position to do those favors. They're asked to give things, whether it be donation or their time or their resources or their skills. They're used to do favors for other people. So this is definitely a form of religious abuse. When someone is taking advantage of you when you are vulnerable, Continuing, leaders use their power to bully, terrorize, oppress, enslave, imprison, and destroy believers. They're being domineering, bossy, dismissive, and abusive. They use religious texts to indoctrinate, deceive, and manipulate believers. Now, this is something we see all the time. And people think that this happens only in the cult. You know, you have these occultic groups you have these special groups. You have these 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 um, things that go on and people don't want to talk about it because they think that those things shouldn't happen, but they are happening and they just kind of ignore them or dismiss them. All right? They know these things are not supposed to be happening, but they allow it to happen anyway. Right, so that is inappropriate behavior, and if it's done by a leader, that is considered to be religious abuse. They're bullying, terrorizing, oppressing, enslaving, imprisoning, destroying all that is negative. All those things are negative, right? Now, leaders force believers to engage in unethical, immoral, criminal, ungodly activities in the name of God or religion. That is a problem. When religious leaders are mandating, making it a requirement for believers to engage in these immoral acts, whether it be sexual immorality, whether unethical, it's not right. It's going against the laws of nature. Or it's criminal. It's going against legal laws, state laws, federal laws. It's something that's not right. But we do have a lot of religious leaders who have that influence to exert their power over believers to get them to do certain things, right? Now, another thing, religious leaders monitor all their congregations' actions and control every aspect of their lives. Now, that is a problem. I mentioned that in the first part, but I'm mentioning it again because it is something that we need to look at. If you're religious or you're spiritual, you do not have to allow the spiritual or religious leaders to monitor and control every aspect of your life. You are a sovereign being. You are an adult. You are independent. You are self-sufficient. You are mature. You are responsible for your own life. There's no need for you to give your personal power over to a religious leader. 
That doesn't make any sense, but this is a form of abuse. After a while, they make these believers dependent on them emotionally and mentally. They don't allow them to think for themselves. They don't allow them to exercise, you know, the analytical thinking. They don't allow them to make decisions so they don't know or they forget how to make good decisions. Now, religious leaders force believers to conform to Pacific image. They want the believer to look a certain way, whether it's physically, they have to dress a certain way, whether it's emotionally, they have to respond emotionally in a certain way, they have to feel a certain emotion in a certain way, whether it's mentality, they want to think a certain way, whether it's mannerism, they want them to behave a certain way, they want them to act a certain way, they want them to live a particular lifestyle. Again, they're forced, and this is where the abuse comes from. They are being manipulated, they're being deceived, or they're being controlled to act a certain way. Now, that way may not be what they really want to do, but they're being coerced. They're being threatened. If you don't do this, you're going to hell. If you don't this, we're going to cut you from the church. We'll cut you off. If you don't this, you're going to have, if you don't do this, you're going to have bad luck. You're going to be cursed by God. God is going to be upset with you. So you have to live this way. You have to wear this type of dress. You have to, there's nothing wrong with a religious belief having a dress code. There's nothing wrong with them having a certain set of values or standards. Nothing wrong with that. But when you are being imposed upon, when you're being forced, you're doing something that's against your free will, then it becomes an issue. It becomes a serious issue when you are being forced to do something against your will. That is a form of abuse. When somebody is trying to force you to do something against your will. When you're doing something, you feel uncomfortable. You feel out of control. You feel like you have no choice or no option. You're frustrated. You feel intimidated. You feel like you have to or else. Now that is definitely a form, what? Of abuse. Now leaders make believers dependent on religious institution They discourage self-sufficiency and independent living. Believers must seek approval from leaders before making any personal decisions. Okay? Now, leaders deliberately give false or misinformation to believers to gain something of value. They deliberately distort the religious text, misinterpret or add or alter it so they can use it to manipulate people to get what they want. What do they want? Sometimes they want sexual favors, resources, property, money, materialism, benefits, or privilege. That is a form of religious abuse. Leaders deliberately use religious and spiritual belief to install fear in members in order to control them. Fear of displeasing God. Fear of being rejected or cursed by God. Fear of being denied of God's mercy, forgiveness, and grace. Fear of going to hell or suffering. Fear of being isolated from God or fear of losing God's blessing and protection. They live in fear. Continuing, leaders force believers into taking an oath of silence and a vow of secrecy to prevent them from revealing information that could expose their evil ways and hypocrisy. They have complete censorship over the believer. They impose the censorship. You keep your mouth closed. Don't talk about what's going on in the church. Don't talk about what's going on in the mosque. Don't talk about what's going on in the temple. Don't talk about what we do and what we ask you to do. That is complete control. And this is a form of abuse. Leaders deliberately deny the tools and resources necessary for believers to think for themselves. They don't allow them access to research information. They don't allow them to compare different religions. They don't allow them to speak to knowledgeable people outside their religious inner circles or institutions because they don't want them to be enlightened or awakened. This is a form of abuse. Now, leaders set up a hierarchy system in the religious institutions where believers are ranked and given position based on social status or value assigned. 
Believers are seen as less than others in higher positions if they are in a lower rank. This is crazy. Now, religion is supposed to be preaching love and unity and peace. But again, they're promoting division and separation. Right? So we basically kind of went over some of the things that we spoke about in the first part. How religious institutions promote abuse. And now we just talk about how religious leaders promote abuse. Now we're going to go ahead and switch up now. We're going to talk about what happens when religious people are involved in intimate relationships. How they could be subjected to abuse. Now, when we talk about domestic violence, people are clearly aware of physical abuse, emotional abuse, mental abuse, sexual abuse, financial abuse. People are very aware of that, but a lot of people don't know that people can be subjected to spiritual and religious abuse. All right? So again, people who are in intimate relationships can be subjected to domestic violence, which can include religious or spiritual abuse by their partners. So we're going to go ahead and talk about some of the ways that people in intimate relationships can be abused because they are religious. Now, people who are involved in non-intimate relationships people who are involved in family relationship, which is still domestic violence, because if we have any type of violence taking place within the family, whether you're related by blood or marriage, or you have a child together, any type of abuse within a family relationship is classified as domestic violence. So now we're specifically dealing with intimate relationships, but anything that we talk about intimate relationships can also be applied with family relationships. Okay, the same way that a husband abuses a wife, the same way that a wife abuses a husband, a mother can abuse their children that way. A father can abuse their children that way. Brothers and sisters can abuse each other that way. It's all within the family. So let's just go ahead on and talk about some of the ways that intimate partners use religion to abuse their partners or how they use their spiritual or religious belief to impose certain things on others that could be considered to be a form of abuse. Okay, let's talk about it. Now, one, partners use religious belief to establish power over the other person. Again, partners use religious belief to establish power. All right, they believe that their religious belief give them the right, give them the authority, give them the permission to control their partner's behavior and to manipulate their feelings. Now, they will use religious texts or practices to emphasize specific behaviors. Right? They will say that the Bible said that I am the man of the house. And because the Bible said that, I have the right to be the man of the house. Now, there's nothing wrong with being the man of the house. There's nothing wrong with being the woman of the house. But if you're using that position to control, to abuse, exploit, and hurt your partner, then of course it's not okay. It's a form of abuse. Some people think automatically because their religion give them certain rights and benefits, they can use those rights and benefits to abuse their partner, which is not okay. All right? It's okay to be the head of the household. It's okay to be the parent. All right? But you cannot demand blind allegiance, unquestionable obedience, unconditional love, and unmoving loyalty based simply on because you were granted that title by your religious belief. Now, if you want to be given that title and you want to be able to stay in that position, you have to take on the roles and responsibilities of that position. A lot of people want to get the title of being the head of the household, the man of the house, but they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Because each position 
or title comes with responsibilities. A lot of people don't do the responsibilities. They just want the title. Or they use the title to force people to do things that's going to hurt them. So that's when it crosses into that abuse. Right? Continuing. Partner use religious text, theology, or doctrine to justify their own abusive behavior. They use their own interpretation, or should I say misinterpretation, and view of the religious material to keep their partners in line. They often use specific selective verse or passage to prove their point while ignoring scriptures that expose the hypocrisy and abusive behavior. We see this all the time. People will use selective passage. They'll look at only the passages, the doctrines, the scriptures that support or reinforce their negative behaviors. This is something that happens all the time. Right now, partners use specific belief or ideology to dictate victims' lifestyle and choices. Okay, they will use the Bible, the Quran, the Torah, any religious books to tell you what you can't do, not because they're trying to be religious, not because they have your well being at heart, not because they're trying to help you, but because they want to have power and control, and they use religious belief as a tool to control, right? They will dictate their victim's lifestyle. They'll tell them what God don't want them to do. God don't want you to do this. God don't want you to do that. In reality, it's not God, it's them. They don't want you to do this. They don't want you to do that. But they're saying it as if God is saying it and they're misusing that in order for them to obtain power and control. They'll tell you that God instruct you to automatically obey his prophets and leaders without question. Saying partner is violating religious laws by not complying with their demands and requests. They want something. God wants you to obey. If they're asking you for sexual intercourse. Okay. Or they're using God or the Bible or the Quran or the, or the Torah to justify sexual assault, abuse, rape. Denying affection and romance. Oh, the Bible don't condone that, okay? We're not supposed to display affection in public. You know, maybe the Bible said that. Maybe the Bible didn't say that. But it's not because they really believe in what the Bible or the religious text is saying. They just want to use that selective religious text in order for them to get their way, right? And sometimes parents use these religious texts to justify abusing their children, Justify neglecting or even abandoning their children. We see this all the time. They say, spare the rod, spoil the child. And some people take that out of context. They really take it literally to the point where you have to go get a rod and literally beat your child to death. Some people take it to that extreme. In reality, just saying that you have to provide your child with discipline. That may include corporal punishment. You may have to spank them. But there's a difference between spanking and abusing. You could tap them a little bit on the hand, tap them a little bit on the butt to get their attention so you could teach them a valuable lesson. It's not okay for you to burn your child, beat them to the point where you're leaving welts and marks and bruises and cuts. That's considered to be child abuse. Some people get up and leave, well, I'm going to go on a missionary, I'm going to go serve the Lord, and I'm going to do God's work, and they neglect their children. They leave their children in the house all day. They're not feeding them. They're not taking them to the doctor. They're not providing them with education materials. They're not helping them stimulate their minds. They're not engaging them in recreation activity. They're not teaching them social skills. Some people get up and literally abandon their children in the name of God. Now, diet. You know, sometimes they use religion to control people's diet. Oh, okay, uh, the text say, don't eat this, don't eat that. Control food selection and consumption. Okay, don't eat this. You're not supposed to eat the pork. You're not supposed to eat this. But then there's a lot of the things that the scripture may say do, and they're not doing it either. But they're using those specific scriptures in order to control people's behaviors. All right, now financial they definitely will use the scripture or the Bible, the Quran, the Torah to control people's finances and to deprive them of their necessity. Right? Now, behavior, justify monitoring activity. They want to monitor 
their partner's behavior. They will use religious texts. Okay, external appearance. Sometimes they want to justify their standard of beauty. They say, well, you're not supposed to wear makeup. You're not supposed to color your hair. You're not supposed to perm your hair. You're not supposed to, you know, wear this clothing. You're not supposed to dress this way. Now, again, it's not because they really believe that. They really are sincere and they're trying to practice their religious way. No, they're just simply citing those scriptures because they want to control their partner's external appearance. Now, relationship goals, they're justifying their expectations and justifying their restrictions in a relationship. Not because they really believe those things, but because they want to use it to control their partner's behaviors and get a certain outcome. Interaction with other people. They would quickly tell you, okay, the scripture, the religious scriptures say you're not supposed to, you know, deal with other people. You're not supposed to be talking to this person or this group. So they would try to justify isolating their partners. Justify, you know, making them withdraw or separate from their families, their friends and loved ones. Right? Privacy and confidentiality. They're demanding their partners, you know, to give them access to their private accounts, whether it be financial accounts, their phone, you know, social media, and personal information, okay? As a head of this household, as the man of the house, as the woman of the house, as the parent, you know, I demand that you give me everything. You have no type of privacy or, you know, no right to confidentiality. They can share your information with everybody. That is a form of religious abuse. They're using religion to be able to manipulate Deceive, control, abuse, and exploit you. This is religious abuse. Okay? Continue. Partner use religious or spiritual belief to control emotional state and trigger specific feelings. They can try to make you afraid using a passage in the, the religious text. They can try to make you sad, fill you up with doubt, shame, guilt, hate, anger, and make you depressed. They use religious belief to make victims feel less than or not good enough. See, even God don't like you. That's what they'll tell you, just to make you feel bad. Oh, God abandoned you. Or you a sinner. Or you did something wrong. That's the reason why you curse. And they tell you this one typical things that happen to everybody happen to you. Everybody gets sick sometimes as a human being. Everybody may, you know, at one point lose their job. This is not a curse. You know, at some time, people are going to be frustrated, disappointed, betrayed. Betrayed. This is not something that's happening because you didn't obey God. This is something that happens because of the poor choices you made. Or maybe you were the wrong place at the wrong time. Or maybe you were irresponsible and things happen, right? But as a form of religious abuse, people will use religious texts to manipulate your emotions, bringing out certain negative emotions and making you stay stuck in that emotional state. Right now, they make you feel like something's innately wrong with you, they're not acceptable to God as they are, and they need to prove their worthiness. They tell the victim they are imperfect and will never meet God's standard. They force the victim to engage in certain religious practices or rituals to cleanse themselves or to please them. Right. So they're not engaging in the in the religious ritual to please themselves. They're doing it to please their partners because their partners are using that as a form of manipulation to prove their world, I mean their loyalty or their worthiness. Continuing, partner often harass, ridicule, or humiliate victim due to their religious or spiritual belief. Now, this is a form of abuse. If you're with someone in an intimate relationship and they're constantly belittling you, putting you down, making you feel bad because of your religious or spiritual belief. They talk bad about your belief system. They verbally, mentally, emotionally abuse you because of your religious belief. They call you stupid, ignorant. They call you a heathen, a pagan for having a different religious belief. They make you feel like you're a failure, a sinner, because you have a different religious belief. This is a form of abuse. A lot of people don't think about this, but this is the reality that we live in right now. 
Okay, continuing. Partner use their power in the relationship to prevent victim from practicing their own religious or spiritual belief. They put a lot of pressure on them. They threaten them, coerce them, or intimidate them into abandoning their own religious belief in order to convert to the abuser's belief system. This is what we call a forced conversion. They don't have the option to say no. They get cut off, they get isolated, they get threatened, they get abused, sometimes maybe even physically attacked because they don't want to convert to their partner's religious belief. Now, we see this all the time. People marry people from different religious beliefs. We call that interfaith marriages. But somehow, the other partner don't want them to keep their religious belief. They want to force them to change. Well, I don't want you to be a Catholic anymore. I want you to be a Christian. I don't want you to be a Muslim anymore. I want you to be a Hindu. I want you to be a Buddhist. I don't want you to do this. I want you to do that. And whenever someone force you or stop you from practicing your own unique belief, it is considered to be a form of religious and spiritual abuse. Now, partner excuse abusive behavior by blaming the devil, demons, or evil spirits for creating the problems in relationship. We see this all the time. People who are religious, they use religion as a scapegoat. Okay, they don't want to take personal responsibility for their negative actions and they try to make the victim feel guilty for asking them to change. So they're using their religious belief to force the victim to accept their fake apology or practice forgiveness and mercy towards them. Right? Religious people, they tend to blame everything bad that happened on the devil and everything good that happens on God. And they conveniently love to blame the devil for things that they have full control over. The devil made me do it. I'm not in control. The devil this, the devil that, oh, demon, oh, I'm under attack. Now, I'm not saying that people are not influenced by demonic presence or demonic forces or entities. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. But we're talking about people who are abusing their religious belief. They're using religion to manipulate and control others. So in this case, that abuser is not trying to change their abusive behavior. So what they're going to do? They're going to blame the devil. The devil made me do it. So they won't take personal responsibility to change. That's a form of abuse. Partner prevent victim from seeking medical care, physical therapy, and counseling. Okay? Because of their religious belief. They want them to rely on their religious faith for healing or using alternative care that really don't work. Right? They deny them the opportunity to use much needed health care services. They don't allow them to use prescription medication, over-the-counter medicine, or other products. Now, if you're using an alternative medical treatment and it works, you don't want to go to the medical facilities such as the hospital, the clinics. You don't want to use those type of services. It's perfectly fine. But at least you're using something that is effective and practical. It actually works. But a person who is using religion to abuse their partner, they will advise them to use non-medical practices that don't work, okay? And as a result, their sickness or their health deteriorates and they get worse, they get sick, even die, okay? That is a form of religious abuse. When partners force their mates not to go to the doctor, Don't get counseling, don't get therapy, physical therapy or mental therapy. Oh, we're just going to pray about it. And they pray and there's nothing wrong with prayer. Prayer works. But if it's not doing the trick, you may need to start relying on alternative treatments. Now, partner use religious members to pressure or coerce victim into staying in an abusive relationship or dysfunctional interaction. Right Now, this is something we see all the time. A lot of people who are victims of domestic violence, they are pressured by other church members or people of the congregation or their church family. They're pressured to stay in an abuse relationship. Unfortunately, a lot of people end up dying, going to jail, getting physically injured or disabled because they were discouraged from ending 
a dysfunctional or domestic relationship. Right? Now, after they end the relationship, sometimes the pastor or other religious members will try to force them to go back to a toxic and abusive relationship. And they may try to encourage them saying that this is what the doctrines say that they have to do. They have to return back home. They have to go back to their wives, go back to the husband, because this is the standard or the protocol. This is what they do. Not take into consideration the dangerous factors that are at play. That this person may be in serious danger. It may be lethal. They may die. Right? Now, partners use religious belief to abuse children. Stop them from learning and growing. Engaging in childhood activities. They don't want these kids to be kids. They want them to be miniature adults. Sometimes they use their religion or religious belief to pretty much stop children from being children. Okay? They primarily primarily focus on religious events instead of teaching them the basic life skills. And they're not making them aware of what's happening in the world so they can prepare them emotionally and mentally, socially, for them to give them the interpersonal skills that they need, the emotional skills, the mental skills that they need to be able to interact with the rest of the world because they won't live in an isolated bubble where they're only dealing with religious people. They're going to be dealing with everybody. So if their parents are not teaching them how to deal with everybody, when they go out in the real world, they're not going to be able to function properly. So that is definitely a form of abuse, right? Now let's look at the negative effects of religious and spiritual abuse. Let's look at some of those things. Victimization, right? That is definitely one of the biggest consequences, negative consequences of religious and spiritual abuse. They create victims, okay? People are victimized, when they are religiously or spiritually abused, all right? They're victimized emotionally, mentally, physically, sexually, socially, and financially, right? So spiritual abuse is not just spiritual abuse. It affects every other area of people's lives, all right? They experience persecution and retaliation for revealing truth, all right? When a person is subjected to a religious and spiritual abuse, I mean, you know, People are going to come after them because they're revealing the secrets. They're exposing the hypocrisy. They're putting the business out there to let people know that all that glitters isn't gold. These people are not what they claim to be. These people are not practicing what they claim to practice, right? Now, a lot of these people who are abused, they are labeled liar because they don't want no one to believe them that they're being abused. So they're automatically labeled, okay? They are they are given the title, of, oh, this person is a liar. This person is crazy. Don't believe anything they say because they don't want the truth to be revealed. So a lot of people who are victims of religious and spiritual abuse, they are falsely labeled a liar or crazy, right? Now, people who are abused, they feel betrayed by God in the religious institution. Now, mind you, these people were very committed to their religious institution and to their religious beliefs in God, all right? So if they are abused spiritually and religiously, they're going to feel betrayed. They're going to feel used and abused. And some of them, they may develop low self-esteem. They may start developing self-hatred, self-rejection, self-blame, and self-sabotage. Because this is devastating when someone abuses you on a religious level or a spiritual level. This is the ultimate betrayal. A lot of people stop believing in God. Some people can become an atheist because they suffer from all type of mistrust. They suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, because they're completely traumatized. They suffer from anxiety and panic attacks. They may have identity confusion and no sense of self because for so long, you know, their identity was that of a religious person. Who are you? I'm a Christian. I'm a Muslim. I'm a Jew. I'm Jewish. Okay? I'm a Buddhist. I'm a, you know, I'm this, I'm that. When you stop believing or when they stop believing in their religious belief system, when they separate from the church or the mosque or the temple, what happens? They lose their identity. Sometimes they lose their support system because these people were not just congregation members. They became their family because they weren't allowed to connect and socialize or relate well to people. 
Now, disassociation. A lot of people who have been abused religiously or spiritually, they disassociate, feeling disconnected. They feel lost. Because remember, this church or this mosque or this temple, this, this was a way of life. It was not something that they do once in a while. I mean, this is something that they identify with, they bonded with, they connected with. This is what they did on Monday through Friday, Monday through Sunday. And when they're no longer part of that religious community, that religious family, sometimes, you know, they feel lost. They feel confused. They don't, they don't feel like they have a place that they can call home, a place that they belong. They go to emotional detachment and even numbness. Some people even question their sanity. They feel like they're going crazy because literally a rug was pulled from beneath them. Their whole reality was altered. So because of that, these people suffer a lot of anxiety. Okay? They have a sense of guilt and shame. They feel bad. Like, why did this happen to me? Again, they have a trust issue. They have mistrust issue. They, you know, someone violated their trust and now they don't trust anybody. They don't trust anybody. They feel powerless, hopeless, and helpless. Right? They have a loss of faith. Diminish or a loss of faith. They become non-believers. Atheists. Some of them start talking against the church. They start revealing all the negative things that took place to others. All the stuff that they couldn't talk about while they were in or that religious community. Now that they're out, they start talking. Right? They may lack critical thinking skills because they haven't been thinking for themselves for so long. They have difficulty making personal decisions or they're indecisive because they, they spent 10, 20 years not making decisions for themselves. They live in constant fear and feeling paranoia. Now that they're not under the protection of God, so to speak, or the protection of the church, or they're not in a secure environment where they have all this support, now they're alone. They feel they're afraid. They're afraid of death. They're afraid of evil spirits. They're afraid of demons. They're afraid of going to hell. They're afraid of being used and abused. These people live in constant fear. Sometimes they may have reoccurring nightmares and disturbing visions. Suicidal thoughts or attempt suicide. They may have substance abuse or addictive behaviors. Sexual dysfunction. They may experience anger and rage at God or the religious leaders or community. Again, they may feel lonely or alone because they lack the support. They don't have no sense of community or belonging. Lacking interpersonal and communication skills. Stress-related disorder. They may have sleep problems, eating disorders, depression, nightmare, body aches, and a compromised immunity. They may have mental and emotional health problems. They may experience estrangement from family and friends. A lot of them gave up their families and friends just to be part of this religious circle, part of this religious family or community. Now they cut themselves off from that because of the abuse. You know, now they feel like, you know, they have nobody. They're just out there on their own. They may have disturbance and conflict with their other relationships. They may experience, you know, relationship problems at work with their co-workers. They may have problems with their neighbors, have problems with their friends and family members, not just their intimate partners. Okay. They may avoid anything that's religious, anything that's spiritual, any type of ceremony, service, ritual. These people run because they've been traumatized. They've been mentally disturbed. They've been off balance. Okay. Having flashbacks of bad religious experience. They have triggers. Right. These people suffer. Having that feeling of being stuck or stagnant. They're unable to move forward or recover. This is something that is very serious. People have suffered through emotional abuse from Religious people or religious leaders or religious partners, they have suffered, okay? So now let's talk about how to deal with religious and spiritual abuse. This is something that happens all the time, but people are not talking about it out of fear. Fear of retaliation from religious leaders or religious partners or religious communities, Fear that God is going to curse them. Fear that they're going to hell. So this is the reason why 
they just put up with it. And all this fear is made up. It's not even real. It's something that is based in the mind. That fear is not based on anything rational. Okay? Now let's talk about how to deal with religious and spiritual abuse. A lot of people need to know how. Trust your intuition and don't ignore your sense of discernment. When you feel something is wrong or bad, follow your gut feelings. Again, how to deal with religious abuse, spiritual abuse. Trust your intuition. A lot of people feel it. They go to a church, they go to a temple, they go to a mosque, they go to a religious ceremony or a spiritual ritual, and they feel that something is not right. Something is wrong here. This is not supposed to be happening. They see certain things. They they hear certain things. They feel certain things. They smell certain things. When you feel that something is wrong, you need to take a step back. Take a step back and find out what's going on, okay? Don't rush to make a commitment to any type of religious program, religious community. Don't be so quick in a hurry to try to buy your salvation, right? A lot of times they promise you the world. They're going to save you. They're going to heal you. They're going to deliver you. They're going to give you the peace that you've been looking for. They're going to give you the love that you've been searching for. They're going to give you that sense of community, that sense of belonging. But if you feel something is not right, the best thing to do is trust your intuition. Step back. Don't make a commitment. Get away and give yourself some time to think. Now, don't be afraid to stand up to protect yourself, knowing you don't have to take any type of abusive behavior from anyone, including religious institutions, religious leaders, religious members, religious family, religious friend, religious colleague, or religious intimate partner. A lot of times people think, oh, because they're religious, they're not going to hurt me. That's not true. In the first segment, we talk about how religious institutions condone negative behavior. So this is something that happens all the time. These people may not know they're doing wrong per se. Some of them are just following religious instruction because they're not thinking because they lack critical thinking skills. So they go around and do stuff that's hurting people and they don't even know it. They think that they're trying to save you. They're trying to bring you salvation. They're trying to bring you deliverance. In reality, they're bringing you pain and suffering and and dysfunction and toxic, toxic, toxicity, right? Now, Seek help from someone who is trustworthy and reliable. Find somebody that you know. Tell them about what's happening, especially if it involves a criminal activity, right? If you know these these people who are religious are engaging in human trafficking, you got to expose them. If you know that they're, you know, they're exposing people to things that are bad, you need to expose them. If you feel that they're using children. They're engaged in, in pedophilia. Okay. They involve, they're, they're engaged in sexual abuse. You need to expose them. Talk to somebody. Somebody need to know what's going on. Don't just take it upon yourself to go confront these people alone because they can harm you or they can kill you, or they could try to drive you crazy, gaslight you, make you think that you crazy, make everybody see you as the bad person and they're the good person. They'll try to act like you completely lost your mind, right? So it's very important to not keep this to yourself. Start writing, documenting the things that you see, the things that are going on, the things that have been revealed to you. And then you can share that with somebody you trust. Now get out of the situation as soon as possible, especially if you are any type of physical danger. Some people go to these religious institutions, church, mosque, temple, and they feel like they're in danger, but yet they staying there right there. They're not trying to leave. They're not trying to run. All right. So if, if you feel like you're in danger, you need to get out of the situation as soon as possible. Now practice your personal spiritual religious belief to find peace and balance. You don't always have to go to a physical church for you to be religious or spiritual. You can stay within the confines of your home. You can go to the park, to the beach, and you can meditate. You can detoxify from all this religious madness or religious insanity or religious poisoning. 
Because unfortunately, like I said in the first part, a lot of people use religion to control the masses, right? So if you want to heal and feel rejuvenated, you're going to have to practice your own spiritual and religious belief. Now, some people create a fusion. They combine different religious and spiritual belief to create something that pretty much fits them. Something that can support their lifestyle in a positive way. I'm not saying create something that's going to condone something negative. That's not what I'm saying, but a lot of people seem to be doing that right now. Okay. Whatever negative state they're in, they create a religious belief or find a religious belief that can support that. Now address any negative emotions that you may have and don't allow these negative emotions to burden you. Knowing it takes a process to heal will help you be more patient. Because after going through all this religious abuse, spiritual abuse, I mean, you could really be drained emotionally. Sometimes you may need to provide yourself with some great self-care. You need to sleep. Sleep for hours. Eat healthy. Exercise. Make sure you stay hydrated. Make sure you practice relaxing techniques. Very important. Right? This is how you're going to get over, recover from the religious or spiritual abuse. Feel free to forgive when you're ready. Forgive these religious people who harm you, whether it be religious leaders, religious community, religious family, religious intimate partner, religious friend. You have to learn to forgive them. And forgiveness is not so much for them, it's for you. And I know that most people say that, you know, it may sound crazy, but yeah, I mean, forgiving them is helping you forgive you. Letting them go is helping you let letting it go. Right? So as long as you're holding on to the pain, to the suffering, to the heartache, to the betrayal, to the hurt, it's going to be difficult to allow the healing process to take place. So that's why you hear a lot of people talk about forgive. Let it go. Let it go so you can get to the work, so you can get to the self-healing and self-empowerment, and you don't have to get stuck in the stage of self-sabotage. Now, address all negative emotions and don't allow it to burden you. That's very important. I have to repeat that. Address it. A lot of people don't want to deal with their emotions. They don't want to deal with their feelings. It's important that you address it. Don't let it fester and grow into a deep psychological wound or spiritual wound. If you're hurting with negative emotions, whether it be fear, whether it be worry, whether it just be anxiety, right? It's important to address it, find out where it's coming from, what it's trying to teach you, and let it go. Very important. I have to revisit that. Now get some emotional support or counseling if necessary. If you feel traumatized, depressed, stressed out, you feel overwhelmed, you feel like you can't do it no more because you've been through religious and spiritual abuse, it's very important for you to get some help. Don't feel ashamed or guilty for seeking help. That is part of the self-care. Seek help when you need it whatever that level may be, whether it be a spiritual counseling, whether it be mental counseling, whether it be relationship counseling, whatever you need, whatever is necessary. Now, I have zero tolerance for any type of spiritual or religious abuse. Okay? Zero. No silencing. Whistleblowers. If someone come out and they're revealing what's happening in a church, I'm not saying you're going to automatically believe a person, but at least give them the right to talk. Don't try to silence them. Don't try to silence victims when they're exposing their victimization and who did it. Or someone who witnessed that. Don't try to silence them. Don't try to dismiss you know, their, their, their accusations or their allegations. You need to think about it and see if there's any truth, right? Notice that there's any patterns that's going on in the church or the mosque. Notice if there's any cover-ups, fraudulent behavior, or criminal activities. Don't protect these people. Don't protect these religious abusers. 
Don't protect these religious institutions if they are promoting negativity. If they are promoting harm to others, they're promoting toxic behaviors or dysfunctional ways. It's very important that you take action because you could be saving someone's life. Please take a look at religious and spiritual abuse and choose to end this cycle of victimization in the name of God. Thank you.